creator of all that has been, is, and will be. You are the God who sees us and sustains us. How can we ever thank you for all that you've granted us? Our very lives created in your image. Thank you for the capacity and the privilege of giving. May these gifts turn hunger into food, literacy into education, thirst into water, disease into healing, and displacement into welcome. We humbly ask you to consecrate these gifts for the transformation of lives and communities so that our abundance may be for their need and their need become our abundance. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you, Chris, for setting us so beautifully to hear this passage from the Christian uh, Scriptures, the first letter of Peter, chapter 4. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be serious and discipline yourselves. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another. Don't complain. Like good stewards of God's manifold grace, Serve one another with whatever gift God has given you. Whoever speaks must do so as one speaking the very words of God. Whoever serves must do so with the strength that God supplies, so that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory and honor and power now and forever. Amen. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this fall I wanted to preach this sermon series called Stewardship Cubed, or Stewardship to the Third Power. As you've just heard Chris say, to be a good steward is to exercise good care for the good things God has entrusted to each of us. A couple of years ago, I mentioned this Bible scholar called Adam Copeland, who uses Downton Abbey to explain what stewardship means. That is to say, Lord Robert Crowley, 7th Earl of Grantham, that's not us. We're not Lady Cora Crowley or even Dowager Countess Maggie Smith. We're not them. We're Mr. Carson, the butler who cares for the estate, and Elsie Hughes, who keeps house for the Lord, Lord Robert, you see how wonderful the metaphor works, right? We work for Lord Robert, who is God. We work for Lady Cora, who is God. You see, we live downstairs, they live upstairs. The metaphor works. Now, God has entrusted in the local congregation each of its members at least three good things. Our faith family, our neighbor, and our home, our campus. What Chris talked about a minute ago, the annual operating budget, is what cares for our faith family. We're hoping for $2.3 million this year. That figure pays me and 16 other employees, keeps the lights on and the shrubs trimmed and the organ humming. The annual campaign cares for our faith family. Through the outreach budget, we care for our neighbor. We're hoping for $500,000 this year to support 40 agencies in Chicagoland which serve our most deserving neighbors. So that's Faith, Family, and Neighbor. A capital campaign supports our home, the campus. And who knows how much that's going to cost. You get to decide. 
The most important of these three, of course, is the annual campaign, what we're talking about today. If in making your charitable priorities, you have to choose just one of the three, choose that one, because without that one, the other two don't exist. But if we take care of all three, faith, family, neighbor, and home, we will be practicing stewardship to the third power, and our impact will increase not arithmetically, but exponentially. God asks for a tithe, 10%. Hope that's a floor, not a ceiling. We understand that you're stewards of many things, not just Kenilworth Union Church, but Northwestern University or Michigan or whatever your alma mater is and the orchestra and the art museum and Refugee One. While you're making your uh, charitable priorities this year among the worthy beneficiaries of your largesse, we hope your gift to the church will be one of the larger ones. The median income in Wilmette is $160,000. In Kenilworth, it's $240,000. And in Winnetka, it's $250,000. In the aggregate, that's about three times the national median of $70,000. Now, some of you uh, fall far below that figure, and some of you soar well above it. That's what median means. This congregation is probably an accurate microcosm of the villages we come from. So I know where I stand relative to the rest of us. You know where you stand. If you could give 3% of your household income to Kenilworth Union Church, the board could accomplish what they're sure God is calling all of us to do. And we're almost there already. Do you know what the average gift to Kenilworth Union Church was last year? Over $3,900. That's very good and very generous. Thanks and thanks thanks. I have a personal goal for this coming year. I haven't checked this out with John or George or Chris. I just hope that in the coming year we can lift that $3,900 above $4,000 collectively. Then we can do what God's calling us to do. Then we can be the church that we're supposed to be. And look, I'll admit, I'm not an unbiased proponent of generous charity. I live thereby. I'm sheltered thereby. But I'm telling you these things not because the church needs your generosity, or at least not just that, but also because you need your generosity. Because it's in giving that we discover the very purpose and plan of our existence. You know that old quip of Winston Churchill, right? We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Yes? We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, when half gods go, the gods arrive. That is to say, when we set to the side all of those semi-gods and demi-deities that are always clamoring for our allegiance, then God can take God's proper place at the center of our existence. A guy walked into a Best Buy to buy a computer for his son. He walks up to the clerk and he asks, do you honor credit cards? And the clerk goes all reverential and says, honor them, we worship them. Yes? When God slinks away from an indifferent world, these half-deities, these glittering things, come in to fill the vacuum. The world tries to convince us that we will be happy and fulfilled if we acquire what the world sells. Material goods, says the world, slake spiritual thirsts. 
It's not true, but that's what the world wants us to think, that material goods slake uh, spiritual thirsts. And when that happens, when that's the truth they're trying to convey, the advertisements get a little extravagant. You know what I mean? One ad says, all computers have a brain, ours has a soul. Really? Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines shows us a picture of the Buddha with the tagline, it can take several lifetimes to reach a state of peace and serenity. Or 10 days on one of our ships. A wristwatch company has a man talking to a woman and the woman says, wow, I can see from your watch that you're very successful. Yes, says the man, this watch makes a statement. It says that I'm very self-assured. I thought this was a parody of bad advertising, but no, it was real. It did not come from Saturday Night Live like I thought. And all of this makes the phrase truth in advertising an oxymoron, right? So much so that when we hear an honest ad, we get a little surprised. A while back, Mazda advertised one of its cars by saying, this car will not make you more handsome or raise your IQ or help you discover new worlds or meet women. It's a car, for God's sake, not a miracle. It's 2,000 pounds of steel, rubber, and plastic. It gets good gas mileage. It costs $24,000. It won't break down after 15,000 miles. If you think this is a good deal, come and see us. On a blank magazine page, except for a picture of a red VW Beetle, Volkswagen says, roundest car on earth. That's truth in advertising. But I haven't seen those ads for a while. I guess they don't work. Ralph Waldo Emerson says, when, when half gods go, the gods arrive. C.S. Lewis takes Emerson's aphorism and gives it a little twist. Dr. Lewis says, when God arrives, the half gods can stay. That is to say, when God takes God's place at the center of our existence, all of these other smaller things that make us happy and give us meaning can remain in our lives and they can become what they're meant to be. Not gods, but goods. When God arrives, the half-gods can remain. In a circular letter to the churches of Asia, all the churches of Asia written around the end of the first century some first century author writing under the name of and with the apostolic authority of St. Peter, the first pope, writes, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be serious and discipline yourselves. The end of all things is near, he said 1,900 years ago. He was wrong about that. But the thing about those first century Christians in the church they lived under what Bible scholars call an intense expectation of an imminent end. That is to say, they expected Jesus to come back any day now, and so they arranged their lives as if that were about to happen. Maybe it hasn't yet. Maybe it's not literally and globally true. It's still true that time is short, individually, microscopically, locally. There's never too much time to discover and accomplish the purpose and plan of your existence and so we show love to one another because love covers a multitude of sins we are hospitable to one another we don't complain and we serve one another with whatever god has given us whatever gift god has given us if you are smart share your wisdom with us 
If you are retired, share your time with us. If you are rich, give us a generous gift. Because we are all stewards of God's manifold grace, of the multiplicity of God's free mercy, of God's unnumbered benedictions. And so we serve one another so that God may be glorified in Jesus Christ, to whom be all honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.